0: Hello my friends, how are you today? You're listening to the St. Mark Bemidji Sunday Edition Podcast. This podcast features a replay of our Sunday sermon or on occasion a sermon from another Wells Sister Church. If you enjoy what you hear today, you might also enjoy our weekday devotions, which you will automatically get if you subscribe to the podcast. Additionally, you might consider sharing it with a friend. Each and every podcast has a share link in its description, which can be found in the same podcast app you're listening to right now. I've tried to make the link really obvious. Let me know if it isn't at John.Kirk at Share God's Word. Share love to your neighbor. Today's sermon is titled "Generosity's Motivation" and is based upon Genesis chapter eight, verses fifteen through twenty-two. We read. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out, together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground, and all the birds, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all the living creatures as I have done as long as the earth endures seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night will never cease we now join pastor zamzo for the sermon
1: in the name of christ jesus our savior friends and fellow believers amen from a worldly from a worldly perspective there are lots of ways we find motivation? There's a couple of them that immediately rise to the surface as we think of uh, them being effective motivators. Probably the number one that comes to mind is fear of punishment or the fear of repercussions of some sort. We go to the workplace. We do our job. No matter what that might be. Why? Because if you don't, you're not going to get a paycheck. Or if you go to your job, you want to do a good job so that what? You don't you don't get written up. You don't get fired. The fear of re- repercussion or the fear of punishment can be a powerful motivator. Fear of punishment is the primary fear behind, uh, or the primary motivator behind law, right? The reason we have laws in this country, and people obey them, they, there's a, a repercussion. It's the reason why we don't have people driving 75 miles an hour down a 35-mile zone. You ever been to a country where they don't really care about those things? And when I was a kid, we were, I can't remember, I was somewhere in the the Caribbean, uh, and we jumped in a taxi, and my mom and my dad and I got in, and we quickly found out that they don't really care much for traffic laws down there. There's a sign, but there's nobody there to enforce it, so it was kind of like, hold on for dear life and don't let go. But if there's a fear of punishment, if there's an actual fear that you're going to get caught, then you obey those laws. And the fear of punishment or the fear of repercussion becomes a, a good motivator to good behavior. There's another thing that seems to motivate people in our country, that, uh, in our society, that we are rather familiar with. And it's the good old classic guilt trip. Right? Right? It's similar to the fear of punishment in that you are made keenly aware of your uh, of, of the result of your actions, be they positive or negative. So, if you're working with somebody on something uh, in the workplace or at home or whatever, and they turn to you and say, "Man, you gotta help me. You gotta help me finish this project out. Otherwise, I'm not gonna get out on time. And if I don't get out on time, then I'm not gonna be able to to pick up my kids from school." Or, if you don't help me work through this issue, then I'm not going to be able to take time off when I wanted to, and I'm not going to be able to go on vacation. You don't want to be responsible for that, do you? Or, I think of those, um, the Humane Society of America commercials In the Arms of the Angels. You know what I'm talking about? Where you got like Fluffy, the one eyed cat. And what's the, what's the implication? If, if you don't give your 25 cents a day, then Fluffy the One-Eyed Cat's going to have to live in squalor for the rest of its existence. You don't want that on you. Do you? Now the fear of punishment, the fear of repercussion, the, the fear of uh, just a straight-up guilt trip, they can be powerful motivators. Even a motivator towards generosity. A motivation to positive behavior, whether by fear of punishment or by guilt, is familiar to us. And in fact, if left to ourselves, it would be the only thing that we ever cling to. Consider that fear of punishment or guilt is the primary motivator behind literally every single religion in this world except for yours and mine. Every single religion in the world is driven by the fear of punishment or guilt except for yours and mine. Whether it's karma, you better do good. Otherwise, it ain't coming back around to you. Or you go all the way back to the Old Testament and you look at some of the ancient pagan priests of Baal. What was their motivation for sacrificing and generosity? Well, if you don't bring your ox, or if you don't even, well, if you bring your your firstborn child, well, then then you should be in the clear. But if you don't sacrifice to that God Baal, then you're not going to have plenty. You're not going to have a good harvest. You're not going to have health. And things are going to go sour for our land and for our people. You have to give the God what He wants or what it wants. Otherwise, it ain't going to go well for you or for those around you. And you don't want that looming over you. Do you? When I was a kid, I was on a trip with my grandparents down to Mexico. And while we were there, um, I we were walking around and, anybody been to Cozumel no maybe a couple of you um one two um, we were walking through the ruins at Tulum um, and it, one of those moments in life that like really instilled in me my love of history but that's a side um, I was walking through the the ruins and there was a plaque um, that was on the there was a plaque that was on this little mound uh, kind of unassuming There was a couple steps that went up and then there was a, a table like an altar uh, and I realized that's the place where they did the human sacrifices. Um, and I, I was reading through this this plaque and I came to realize that the reason that they, that they offered that blood sacrifice, why they offered their husbands and wives and, and slaves and prisoners and children sometimes, was so that by a blood price, they might continually ensure that the cycle of the universe keeps going. Can you imagine that having looming over you, being steeped in that in your society? That if you don't offer human blood, then the sun isn't going to come up in the morning. Quite literally. You don't want to be strapped with that guilt or that punishment, do you? You might wonder what this has anything to do with Genesis chapter eight, we go back in the Old Testament lesson to one of the most oldest, one of the oldest stories ever told: Noah and the Ark. And we all know what happens. God sends a flood on the earth, and it rains for forty days and forty nights. And what we have here in front of us today is the aftermath. We have Noah and his family and the animals coming out of the ark. We go back to this story to show that our faith, our God, our religion has always been the same. It is not like any other religion in the world. It doesn't boil down to karma. It doesn't boil down to doing something for God. But it always comes back to the grace of God. That our God moves His people to live generously always by His grace. We find this in verse 20. Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offering on it. And then shortly afterwards, we find that beautiful promise from God never to destroy his creation, again, using the waters of a flood and that that uh, summer and winter and the seasons would, would continue on and never stop. And the critic might look at this story and say, well, isn't that the same thing? Isn't it the exact same thing as why all those pagans sacrificed so that God wouldn't destroy things again? If that's what one comes away from reading Genesis chapter 8 thinking, I wonder if you actually read it. Why does Noah build that altar and sacrifice those animals from his extremely limited stock of animals? Think about that. We don't have those species anymore, whatever they were. Why does Noah build that altar? It's not out of fear of punishment. Fear of God doing this again. Sacrifices those animals out of thankfulness to God. Thankfulness to God for preserving His life and that of His family. He sacrifices to God in praise for showing undeserved love to His creation despite its sinfulness. Allowing it to continue instead of just outright wiping it out completely. Noah is moved to generosity in giving something to God because of something that God had done. Not something that he hoped God would do. Or that he was banking on God doing. Like he was striking a deal with Him. No, it's a response to God's grace. That's why Noah builds the altar. And in a similar way, in a similar way, despite a great span of many, many, many years, In our mind's eye, we can stand at that altar with Noah and give thanks to God too. Because it is in that very moment that we realize that God could have, and from our perspective, maybe should have, just said, done. Wipe it all out. But He doesn't. He didn't. He allowed His creation to continue. I asked my catechism kids the other day. I was like, "What was the most important thing on the ark?" Um, some of them were like, "Obviously not the dinosaurs." Um, but but uh, what was the most important thing on the ark? It wasn't Noah. It wasn't his family. It wasn't anyone's species of animals. The most important thing on that ark was God's promise. God made a promise in the beginning of most ancient of days to Adam and Eve and said, I'm going to send somebody, I'm going to send a Savior to crush the serpent's head and free the world from sin and death and the power of the devil. And that promise was the most important thing on the ark. That's what Noah had that made him righteous. Faith in that promise that had been passed down from father to son and mother to daughter and parent to child generation to generation right to Noah. And we stand at that altar alongside Noah and give thanks to God in that moment for preserving His promise. For allowing His creation to continue and continuing to preserve us. And were you or I actually There were we standing at that altar with Noah, what would we be moved to give? Could you even call it generosity? Or is it more akin to the reaction of that one thankful leper who hits his knees in thanks and praise to God throwing ourselves down at the feet of a merciful God? Thank you for preserving your promise. Thank you for preserving my life, and such as it is with God's people throughout time, the sacrifices made, the generosity shown, is always motivated not by the fear of punishment or guilt, not in the hope that uh, our, our deity would would act on our behalf or or give us uh, seed time and harvest. No way the reaction of a believer, the reaction of God's people is always a reaction of thanksgiving for something that God has already done. You know, it's constant temptation of a church to motivate her people by using some of the tangible, time-honored, worldly traditions of fear of punishment or guilt. Think of the church in Luther's day. During the Reformation, what, is, what did his church do? Well, first of all, they had developed this false doctrine called purgatory where you had to go and um, purge off the sins that you didn't quite cover in your life. And they taught this and they sold these scraps of paper, these indulgences that said, you know, if, if you don't buy this, then your great-aunt Edna... Can you imagine your great sweet-aunt Edna? suffering in the fires of purgatory purging off her sin for the next 10,000 years you want to be responsible for that you want to be responsible for the fact that because you you don't you don't give enough that the pope can't build his new cathedral down in rome do you want to be responsible for that they're motivated with guilt they're motivated by the fear of punishment As the old saying went, when a coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Maybe we're not as extreme as that, but I think this whole thing makes us um, get a little bit introspective and wonder how it is we motivate our people. It's a call for us to examine how our church motivates. How we motivate each other towards love and kindness and generosity. The temptation stands to exist that, that 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 some might sit back and say, "Come on, you know we we, we have a <coughs> excuse me, we have some budget shortfalls. Does it really need to be that way? We could just turn the, turn some people upside down. There's plenty of money in this congregation. Do we really need to do we really need to, uh, to be suffering in this way? If, if people really valued what they believe? And we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to deal with these budget problems. People really cared. Or to go even farther to the extreme and to play up on guilt. You don't want to be the one that's responsible for us not being able to make payroll, or to keep the lights on, or have to shut down some of our programs. Do you? It's an ever-present temptation for a congregation to be motivated by those time-honored worldly ways that we view as effective motivators. But the fear of punishment, the fear of repercussion, guilt, those things at the end of the day are horrible motivators. And they are not in line with what we preach and teach here. It's not the message that God for His people, that's not the way that the Lord has called us to deal with one another. Why? Because it's not how He has dealt with us. It's not how He motivates us and calls us to action or produces in the heart of His people motivation to generosity. The truth is, we have seen the undeserved, gracious love of God and we know what He freely offers. How can we be motivated toward love, forgiveness, and generosity. How can we be motivated by the fear of punishment if the punishment has already happened? The punishment for all of our false motives, the punishment for all of our evil deeds and desires, the punishment for all sin was already carried out. It's done. It's over with. God emptied out all of His wrath, every bit of it, on Christ. And see the divine irony for what it is. Christ hanging on, on a tree, on a cross, outside of Jerusalem. What was the whole point of crucifixion? It was for the Roman to be able to say, see, look at this evil criminal. Don't you be like him. It was to motivate by the fear of punishment. But when you and I look at the cross, we see God has turned this thing up on its head. Now we see the cross and say, there is my mercy, there is my peace, there is my forgiveness, there is my eternal life, there is my hope of heaven. There is my peace with God for all eternity. The punishment is gone. The one that I deserve. The one that you deserve. It's gone. It's taken away. Washed away in the floodwaters of Christ's blood. We see the great blessing that He has poured out on us. The great blessing that He's poured out on, that He's taken away the sin of the entire world. That we do not get what our sins deserve. That message that is for us, it's for you, it's for me, it's for all people. No holds bar. And it's not just floodwaters that we're saved from or some earthly calamity, but it's death. It's hell. It's the grave. The Gospel message produces, in that Gospel message produces in the heart of a believer the same reaction as Noah at his altar. Thanksgiving hope, generosity, that can show itself in a number of ways far beyond financial stuff. But in the way that we are generous with each other in the way that we love and the way that we forgive. Um, kind of an interesting little side note here. Uh, might sound like I'm going off on a tangent and maybe I am. But there is only two times that this word ark appears in the Bible. The first one is Noah and his ark. And in the original Hebrew, the second time is when Noah is put into that basket and sent down the Nile River. That's the only two times that this word teva, or ark, pops up. And what's the idea? It's a vessel that brings salvation. And we've kind of reflected this in our own church architecture. um, Sometimes wittingly, sometimes unwittingly. Um, In here, if you look up at the ceiling, what's it kind of look like? Like an upside down boat that's over the top of us. Uh, Sometimes you see those big German uh, Gothic cathedrals and they got the big wooden beams. It's supposed to look like a big ship. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same ark, if you will. Um, we, 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 have, we have been called and given this generous Gospel message. We're carried along on the, on the blessed floodwaters of the blood of Christ. We're all in the same boat together. And so we are moved. We are moved by that Gospel message in a number of ways. Maybe, sure, perhaps financially, but in the way that we love each other. Generously in the way that we pray for each other. How we give our time and our service. Even generous in the way that we spend our emotion on one another. Grieving with those who grieve and considering it a joy. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. As we realize that we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same Teva together. Not because we must. Not because if we don't, you're going to get a call from pastor or from the elders. All of it is a reaction and a response of faith. The gracious generosity that our God has lavished on us is our motivation. It's our motivation for generosity and our love towards God and our love towards each other. Amen.
0: That's all there is for today, but we are so happy you took a few moments out of your busy day to listen to God's Word with us. Please consider subscribing to our podcast to hear more devotions like this, Monday through Friday, and to hear our Sunday sermons as well. We also cordially invite you to join us for church every week at 8 a.m. and 10 30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website at www. St. Marks